This Front Row Rugby episode appeared originally on YouTube. Today you are going to get a front row seat to the memorable career of the legendary Springbok, the 1998 Tri-Nations champion, Peter Rousseau. Peter, welcome to Front Row Rugby. It's good to have you on the show, Peter. Peter, before we begin the conversation, we're going to take a look at the trivia question for this week. In 1993, the Springboks beat Australia in Sydney in the first test. Who scored two tries that night for the box? Now, just before we go there and ask Peter the first question in the interview, if you know the answer to the trivia question, you can put it in the comment section down below. And we'll also find out if Peter knows the answer, but we'll do that at the end of our conversation. Peter, before we talk about your career, I would like to know, what is the story behind your famous nickname, Slup Chips? Well, that's a, that's a nickname that started at Newlands. And I'd, I had a lot of uh, different nicknames um, from Piston to Sparkplug to Gielsland. Uh And obviously, Slap Chips is one, was one of them. Um, basically, Newlands Faithful gave it to me. And I think it's more the way I ran, you know, sort of lanky, uh, uh, basically never know which, uh, which way my body was going to go. So, yeah, basically got it from Newlands. That's a great story. So, Peter... You know what? When I was preparing for this interview, I was trying to find out when you actually made your debut for Western Province. And we're going back a while now. And, you know, I was a little boy, not trying to make you feel old, uh, you know, at the time. And I think it was 1995 that I saw you for the first time, as I recall. And it was a Super 10 game in those days. And I think it was against North Harbour. And you were playing at fullback. Can you explain to us how it came that you switched from fullback to wing? Well, um, basically, my first... My first game for, for Western Province was 1994 in the Lion Cup for Western Province against um, uh, Lions. And uh, I was, as you know, uh, went and studied at Stellenbosch and I was a fullback there. And I got selected the province as a fullback. So I played 94, 95, 96 for, for Western Province at fullback. And basically in 97, uh, Eric Fulhoun came to Western Province um, so our back three in 94, 95, 96 was me, Chester Williams and Justin Swart. We were the back three. They were the two wingers and I was a fullback. And 97, uh, Harryfield came and he, bring, he, brought Harry, uh, he brought Dick Mayer with him and, and James Small. So, and then he moved, he moved, basically moved Justin to fullback. So suddenly I was out of the team. Chester Williams was a left wing, James Small fullback and Justin Swart. Uh, the fullback, and I think in the th- sixth or seventh game of the season, uh, Chester Williams tore his uh, anterior um, ligaments, uh, knee ligaments, and uh, he came to me and asked me if I can play wing. So I said to him, "Listen, I've, I can play anywhere, or I try anyway." So he picked me at wing, and I was sort of a school I played fly off and, and then afterwards I played fullback so I was sort of a footballer playing at winger it wasn't like the traditional winger uh, like the wingers were those days so I basically only stood there on defence and uh, but mainly I played everywhere on the field so um, uh, that suited me in, in a certain way because the weak points I had at fullback were sort of taken away at wing because at fullback you sort of have to be a steady you know, conservative 
uh, you know, last line of defense type of player. And, you know, I wasn't really that type of player. I was more adventurous. So at the winger, I could get away with that. So that's how I got to wing. And that's also why I played left wing because Jesse was left wing at that stage. And I played the whole year of 97 left wing for, for province. And basically, I got selected for, for South Africa not long after I started playing wing. So I haven't played a lot in that position where I got selected for, 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 for the South Africa, but I played a lot of provincial games before I got selected for, for South Africa, which obviously helped me a lot, you know, ironing out, you know, most of my flaws and mistakes I've made in the early days. A lot of people probably thought that uh, it went through my, all of my career like that, but yeah, so I had a good time uh, and, um, and that's how I got there at, uh, at wing. So tell me, Peter, how were you feeling ahead of your debut against the British and Irish Lions? Yeah, I was very nervous and obviously very excited. Um, you know, I wasn't picked on the first test, so I still, I still remember when I came back from holiday. I was away for a week or something like that. And uh, my way back, I got a call from Carl Dubussy, was the head coach at that stage, and he phoned me. Uh, and he said, listen, I got selected for... for for the spring box. So I thought it was a friend of mine pulling a joke on me. And first of all, I didn't want to believe it was him. And then and late, and later on, I obviously realized it was true. So, uh, and the second test was in, in Durban. So that was my first test. So I flew up and joined the team. And obviously that was now the famous test where we lost the series. Uh, we scored three tries um, and they scored five penalties and a drop goal. And I beat us. 18-15 and we kicked north out of six um, at that in that day. So, but obviously I was very nervous and but very excited and it was an unbelievable experience. Something you probably can't explain to anybody else who hasn't gone through it. So, um, um, you know, the second game we played in in, in England uh, in, in in Johannesburg at Ellis Park, um, which I was man of the match. Um, and uh, I really had a very good game, which was really nice. And we, you know, at least we beaten in that game. So my my uh, win ratio against the British Lions were fifty percent, <laughs> but but South Africa obviously lost to one. And you also scored your first try in that uh, in that final test against the British and Irish Lions. How did that feel? Yes, yeah, no, that was an unbelievable uh, feeling. Uh, it was it was I think. Uh, 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 something uh, that uh, probably every kid dreams of. So I really enjoyed it. And uh, for me, it was very important that our team played really well. So, um, yeah, I think, you know, a lot of wingers, you know, really enjoy scoring tries. For me, it was nice scoring tries, but I almost, almost, I, I had a different mindset regarding uh, rugby. And, you know, I almost got a, bit, a bigger kick out of making a try for somebody else. And actually scoring a try, but as a winger, you had to score tries, otherwise you're not a good winger. So, uh, but it was a great experience, and you know, I really enjoyed it. And then after the Tri Nations, Coral Duplessis was replaced by Nick Mallet, and we went on that run of 17 tests in a row. But before we talk about that, tell me, in your opinion and your experience, what are the differences between Coral and Nick as coaches? You know, Coral was uh, obviously uh, like uh, I think a visionaire. Uh, visionaire. A visionary uh, coach, and he really wanted to uh, 
make the box play a bit different and think different about the game. So, uh, and um, I think maybe the biggest uh, things that counted against Carl that uh, we all know he was an unbelievable player, uh, player and, and, and captain when he played and also think different of the game than many players. Uh, you know, when he got picked as a coach uh, at, uh, for the Springboks, he hasn't, he hasn't coached one day in his life. So I think, you know, to... Uh, so I think the fact that he hasn't coached made made it difficult for the guys to understand what he was trying to to achieve. Uh, I think the longer he was involved, the longer we played, the better we got. And uh, obviously that spilled over to to Nick Mallet. Uh, Nick Mallet was obviously you know um, very abrasive, hard, and direct and clear in what he was uh, trying to achieve. Very uh, like emotional, passionate. Um, both of them good coaches. I really enjoyed coach uh, playing under Nick Mallet, and you know, uh, he liked me as a player as well. So probably that's one of the reasons I like playing against uh, under him. Um, but both of them really good, and you know, I think uh, Nick just went on what Carl started, and you know, he he implemented for the next two three years when he was the coach, and we really played really good rugby. We were really good as a as a team as well. And enjoyed enjoyed playing under him. On that 1997 end of year tour, you wrote your name in Springbok rugby history forever, scoring four tries against France in a 52-10 annihilation in Paris. Talk to me about that occasion. Yeah, well, that is sort of a bit of a, a basically still a dream that I still uh, wake up sometimes. I really can't believe it was me, but that was an unbelievable experience. We played at Parc de France, and you know the first game we played. In, uh, in France, was we played two tests there, and obviously the first game we went ahead, uh, also quite far. And but at the end of end of that test, they, the French came back, and I think we won by two, three, or four points. It was really close, so everybody was looking forward to the second test, which we played at Parc de Princes, which was basically the soccer stadium which they used at that stage, and that was also the last test. They were going to play there, uh, so so a bit of a, a you know nostalgic or farewell uh, days for for the French and, and in Parc de France, and uh, but we really played well that day and we were up for the game and we played the unbelievable brand of rugby, which uh, which the French really enjoyed. Um, you know, afterwards uh, when we were finished, you know, all the French people were were standing. Uh, and giving us a ovation, clapping hands, you know, for the game we've played. I think it was if that was in South Africa, the stadium would have been <laughs> empty <laughs> if the box lose by that margin. So, uh, but unbelievable experience. And you know, I, I scored some one of two good tries in that match. But you know, one of two, I basically just put the ball down. Um, where the teammates actually did everything. So we we played really well as a team, and we. We played a really uh, almost dynamic type of rugby and offload and uh, quick ruck and um, you know uh, quick rugby, uh, which which made it really difficult at stage for the opposition who wasn't really used to that. I noticed just before we started our conversation behind you, there's a framed Springbok jersey and it looks like it's a framed France jersey. Is that from that match? Yes, yes, yes. That is that is the that is the jersey uh, and. Uh, 
um, yeah, that, that is my jersey. I framed it, and uh, yeah, it's quite a, a nice memory. Um, that is a nice memory, but I've got a lot of memories, not just on, on, on Springbok level, but provincial level. You know, um, not just matches, but also, you know, the coaching staff and, you know, the players you played with. You know, that, that memories will always stay with you. Absolutely. Now, speaking of memories, let's go to 1998. Tri-Nations, we're away from home against the All Blacks in Wellington. A memorable move, uh, I think, as I recorded, was yours to Henry Honeyball, who then sort of inverted himself, passed to you, and you took the gap going past Josh Kronfeldt, and we took the lead and we won that test match. Talk to me about how that move came about and the execution of it. Well, basically, uh, there's been said a lot about that move. Uh, you know, we, we, we haven't won in New Zealand for a while, so, uh, you know, we felt that we... We had we had the chance because we we had a very good ninety seven. We had a good team, you know. We were confident that we can do it. And, uh, and in that week, Henry Hannibal basically um, suggested that we we do this move. Um, at that at that stage, um, the Sharks were always doing this runaround moves with uh, um, you know. The ball goes flat to Henry, and he runs like inverted line. And dummy is the nine coming around, and he basically give it to Gary Gary Tyman. Same type of running line, and they were doing it a lot at the, at the at the Sharks, and they were playing on an advantage line, and they were putting all the teams on a pressure with that. So we basically want to do more or less the same thing, but we don't want to give it to to our eighth man. But they suggested, but they must give it to me, uh, so we can basically maybe a little bit wider, and you know. Uh, different angle, different personnel. And, uh, yeah, so that was basically the side at the breakfast table. We, I think we've practiced it once, captain's run. And uh, so the idea is, you know, the fly run, because that stage, the, the flanker defends on a 10 and the 10 defends on the next channel. So, uh, so, so the idea was for Henry to run towards a scrum to Josh Cross School to fix him. And nine running around was, you know, the idea is that he pulls uh, the flyer with him, which was Andrew Mertens at that stage. So basically, so the timing needs to be perfect. So uh, so the flyer can't adjust when he sees the nine doesn't get the ball. So he ran that inverted line dummies, the nine, uh, Mertens follows uh, years, and then he sort of give a little short, uh, uh, like a, passed to me and, and I just ran through like the biggest, biggest hole I think I've ran through in any of my uh, international careers and it went dead silent in the stadium. So at first I thought it sort of is there knock on or is there a forward pass or is there something that was wrong because it was dead silent and now obviously scored under the poles was a great experience because I knew at that stage when I scored that try I think there wasn't a lot of time left um, and then I, I think it was, I think we were 6-3 and then I scored and went 13-3 and I knew they were going to struggle to to get past us because they were playing into strong wins. So for me, the try was really special, but it was more special for me, the fact that I knew that the try is going to make us win that test. And I don't know if you know that, but uh, that test was the 50th test between South Africa and New Zealand, which was even more memorable 
And at that stage, um, I think New Zealand won 25 tests. We won, we've won 23. I think two were, were a draw. And I think the points difference over 50 tests at that stage was six points. So there's a lot of history and you know, uh, tradition. And, you know, so, and obviously it was the first time, I think, almost 20 years that we've beaten New Zealand in New Zealand, uh, which was also a nice experience. It was certainly a memorable time. And uh, as you will know, uh, in those days, uh, we were still playing uh, afternoon kickoffs in New Zealand. So those of us at home were waking up at, uh, at about four in the morning to watch it. And it was certainly worth waking up, uh, as I recall. I think I was uh, still in high school at the time. Uh, nevertheless, Peter, let's move on to the end of year tour. Uh, we, we won three of the four test matches. And even though we were still winning, the performances seemed to not be as clinical. And I've had a couple of former Springboks on the show talking about some of the reasons why. And I've heard things like Bobby Skinstead being forced into the team by Alan Solomons. I've heard that the guys were maybe a little bit tired. I'd like to hear what your experience was like. I think it was a combination of a few things. Uh, we had a midweek team as well on tour, and the midweek team um, were having good performances. Uh, they were beating, uh, but they didn't have great opposition, but they were beating the teams like 17-0, 18-0. And uh, and and I think Nick, um, you know, sort of started to press, put pressure on our on us to perform well, um, because uh, uh, they were playing well and, and telling us we're not playing well. Uh, but obviously, it was a bit different for them and us because their position wasn't great. Um, I think uh, obviously uh, uh, Bobby were putting a lot of pressure on getting into the team because he was sort of coming on, on as an impact in 98 and really, play, uh, really playing well. And um, and I think the pressure was starting to mount that he must uh, start for the team. The problem is, the problem that we had is that we had Anafent at seven and uh, I think Rassi um, at six and Gary Taichman at eight. So we had sort of a really settled um, back, you know, uh, loose trio and our locks were, were Mark Andrews and I think it was Kraina Otto. And um, we played our first test uh, against... Um, so a lot of things happened. We, we've played against Wales in South Africa. We've beaten them 96-13. So in the end of the year, we played them first. We played them in Wembley. And they fired their coach, got in Graham Henry, who coached the Blues um, for three or four years in Super Rugby. And he got, he became the coach. And I think we weren't really prepared for that game because they played totally different than they used to play. And they sort of put us under massive pressure. Um, eventually, we won that game. But I think because we weren't that well prepared, we didn't play that well, and they really played well. So that sort of set the tone for the tour where we didn't really perform as we wanted to perform, but I think it was because we weren't prepared really well uh, and expected to get, get so much uh, position from, from, from Wild. So in that specific test, uh, Mark Anders' 50th test, 
played his 50th test. And um, half time, he got taken off the um, uh, field. And Underfender moved to lock and Bobby came on. So that basically shows you what the, the mindset of the coaches were. They were wanted to give Bobby more playing time, but they didn't really know who they should drop. Do they should drop Fenter or do they should drop Mark Andrews? So in that specific game, he took off Mark Andrews and put under Fenter at lock and brought on Bobby. Okay, so the second game, um, so now they had really pressure on playing him. Okay, so the second game, they they uh, um, they picked Bobby. But before they picked, everybody sort of started to feel this thing is starting to happen. And because uh, now, you know, the team has played together for quite a while now. And uh, everybody thought it was going to be Mark Andrews who's going to be dropped. And uh, and then uh, Nick went and he dropped Andre Fenter, who was sort of the hard man of the team and, you know, uh, working hard, driving, doing, you know, all the uh, dirty work. So, uh, so that, I think create a lot of uncertainty in the team that the fact that it was Underfinder was the last guy everybody thought Nick will drop. And then he dropped him. And that sort of create uncertainty in the team. And I think that always also spilled over to to uh, to the team. So um yeah and yeah and I think that made that we eventually wasn't and the fact that the second team the whole time the Coach tells you the second team players are putting pressure on. So the guys started to play, I think, more with fear than, you know, uh, motivation and, 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 uh, and confidence. And obviously, we had some good games. Um, and Bob, Bobby did actually really well some of the games he came on. Um, and uh, But he was probably more suited for an eighth man job than a seven because he wasn't really in the rucks a lot of the times. So we lost lost a bit of, of that um, in um, in, a term, in terms of you know cleaning rocks and stuff like that. So um, and then obviously the last game we actually were ahead. Bobby gave me an unbelievable pass. You know we were seven all ahead, and then yeah so things just didn't go our way, and we eventually lost eleven uh, seven. And I think it was eleven seven, and then um, yeah, we couldn't couldn't break the record. We just evened the record. So, uh, um, but yeah, but it was still unbelievable tours, and you know, um, and uh, you can't always win. And there's always a lot of dynamics in the team, and, it's, and the coach is always under pressure. You know, we have to get the best uh, combination, and and uh, you know, how to improve a team. Because you don't always have to lose to to drop players uh, as a coach. Because I'm also a coach now. Sometimes other players just play better or the combination is better. So, so you can actually improve the team uh, while while winning as well. And sometimes you have to. So I think that's what Nick tried. Um, and uh, yeah, unfortunately we lost that. Uh, but it was an unbelievable run from 17 tests. I was fortunate. I played in all 17 of them. I think we were five players that that done that. So. That that is a nice uh, memory for me and uh, something I really enjoy. I always cherish. 
Absolutely. All right, Peter, um, on to 1999 Rugby World Cup. I remember hearing a radio interview with Ewist at the time because he was the captain uh, for that tournament. And he said that the guys didn't really feel like they were at a World Cup while they were in the pool stages in Scotland. But then after that, we moved to Paris for the quarterfinal against England. That was the Yanni de Beer show, as we uh, now know it and remember it. You scored a try in that match as well. Tell me a little bit about that. Uh, uh, you're correct in saying that regarding the, because we stayed in Scotland. So in Scotland, we played, I think, um, uh, we played Scotland, obviously, at Murrayfield. I think we played Spain and Uruguay. I think that was our three games. Um, it changed a bit now. So so we we didn't really get, got the feeling of the World Cup because it was in five countries. Um, when we got to, to Paris, when we played against England in the quarterfinals, obviously, um, there we got the experience or feeling that, you know, now we're in the World Cup. And that game was very important because we knew that's going to be a tough game. Uh, we didn't have a, a good 99 um, run because we had a bit of injuries and uh, so nobody was actually giving us a chance against England because England at that stage I think was really was one or two in the Six Nations they really played well and, uh, and we, we we were really well prepared in terms of what we want to do and, we, and what England was going to do. Um, and uh, obviously, you know, Yanni, uh, uh, Yanni. Well, that is, I think, probably still a record, and probably will be a record for a long time. Um, and we had a very good game plan. And we defended really well, and you know, uh, and Yanni is all, you know, unbelievable gifted in terms of a lot of things. But you know, he could he could drop, and he can kick the ball. And and he and obviously kicked that five drops. A lot of people don't even know it, but all of all five of that drops was in the second half. Um, and uh, yeah, and obviously at the end, you know, he kicked the, the cross kick, which you know I got I got a fortunate bounce. Uh, and um, and that was you know, and that game was obviously played at start of France, uh, which was built um, just after, or you know, which. Um, you know, uh, replaced uh, Park the Prince as a as a, and I think Park the Prince, you know, had about forty five thousand people that can watch. I think uh, Stade of France is over eighty thousand. Right? It was an unbelievable experience, and uh, yeah, one of my best memories. Peter, on to 2000, uh, Harry Fulhoun replaced uh, Nick Mallett. And then you actually, I think after 2001, you didn't play for the Springboks again until 2003. Uh, what actually happened there? Well, uh, uh, but, well Harry got, uh, um, uh, um, got, got picked as their coach. And I think um, he really enjoyed I think bigger wingers. So he basically, I think Dean Hall had a very good super rugby and he picked him. Um, and uh, I, I went back, back basically back to to province and uh, um, you know focused on the Curry Cup and super rugby. And uh, I had a really good year of two. And then he picked me again in the end of two thousand and one. Um, after having a very good uh, Super Rappi and Curry Cup Rappi. And then 
I was involved. And then not long after that, um, you know, basically I was on a, I was basically involved with the team. I got a contract and everything. And at the end of that year, Eric called me again and said, listen, they're not going to renew my contract. So I decided that uh, I had to make a decision. So I got I basically uh, approached by somebody to go and play overseas. So uh, um, that was the end of 2001. And then 2002, I had an unbelievable super rugby again. And then I think February, March, Harry resigned. Uh, but then I already made my decision to go overseas. And then Rudolf Stahli got um, appointed and he phoned me. And uh, when he heard I, I, I'm going overseas, he, appoint, uh, he phoned me and said, listen, but we had to have a meeting. Uh, because he, he told me then he'll give me a contract immediately. And I said, but I already gave my word to the people overseas. I can't back out of that. Um, uh, yeah, so basically that's what happened. So so Harry, um, I think, you know, favoured the bigger guys. Um, but I just kept on working and, you know, and I was fortunate to go back to a team where we really played well, super happy with the Stormers and really played well in the Curry Cup 2000-2001, the Curry Cup. So I've actually put, tried to put a lot of pressure on him and, you know, eventually he picked me again. So, uh, yeah, but, you know, you know, Harry was my coach at 1997 of province where I had really um, good memories and uh, as a, at the Curry Cup, we were unbelievable in the Curry Cup in '97. And then they had, we started with the Stormers '98. We didn't really go well, and then he resigned. So I've played under him before that, uh, what probably 15 months. Um, and um, and yeah, and he thought maybe different in a super, uh, you know, test rugby. And uh, but you know, eventually he picked me. Um, and uh, I really enjoyed the way he thought about the game because he, he thought different to, to a lot of coaches I've played under. And um, and he was really driven to be successful on the, on the rugby field. So uh, it was a good experience. I think all my coaches I've played under you know, brought something different to the table. Um, and I've enjoyed all of them. Peter, just before we finish up, is there a particularly funny moment from your time with the Springboks that you can share with us? Yeah, well, there's a few. Um, um, well, I remember the one um, where we when we uh, played in, in Johannesburg or Ellis Park. We, you know, we normally stayed in a hotel there close yeah, in Johannesburg somewhere. Um, and uh, so when you stay in a hotel, you know, it's a very... You know, the program very, is very full, it's very organized. And so you normally train twice a day. So you get on and, you know, organize the bus and everything. So basically every time, say the bus leave 10 o'clock, then everybody like half past nine, quarter to nine, a quarter to 10, you know, you know uh, get together in the foyer waiting for the bus. You know, or they sit around there, just make sure that, you know, they're on time because it's very important to make sure you're on time. And... Uh, so, so, so it was one before one practice where we were waiting for the bus. So everybody was sitting there in the foyer and um, standing around just, you know, I think it was like five or ten minutes before the bus arrived. So we were sort of getting up and getting ready. And so I was standing there and this one guy came to me and 
And he asked me uh, if we can take a photo. And uh, so as a springbok, you know, you get asked the whole time, you know, a signature, photo, sort of, it, you know, sort of becomes part of your life. So this guy asked me, uh, can I take a photo? I said, no problem. And I, was, and I went and stood next to him. So he said, no, no, no. Can I take a photo of him and his wife and his kids? But now he asked this in front of everybody. So all the guys were falling off the chairs because it was so funny for them. So I eventually took the photo and then I asked him where he's from. So he said, no, he's from Australia. And, uh, you know, uh, rugby, I think Aussie rule fan doesn't even know rugby. I don't think he, at that stage he didn't know who the Springboks were. So, yeah, so that was, was quite a funny and humbling experience for me. <laughs> All right. Uh, Peter, before we finish, let's take a look at the trivia question again quickly. In 1993, the Springboks beat Australia in Sydney in the first test. Who scored two tries that night for the box? Do you know the answer, Peter? I don't have a clue. I don't have a clue. <laughs> it's actually quite, quite an obvious one. When I tell you you're going to know, it was James Small. Uh, should have guessed. The chances of the winger probably have done it now. <laughs> <laughs> Quite right. Peter, thank you very much for your time today. I want to say it was an absolute pleasure having you on Front Row Rugby. So many fascinating stories from the past. And I hope that we can have you on again in the future. Thanks, Peter. Really enjoyed being part of the show. Last time on Front Row Rugby, I had former Springbok centre Christian Stewart on the show. You can go and have a look at that video. It's appearing on your screen right now. Next time, I'll have another Tri-Nations winner and a World Cup winner as well, Albert Vandenberg. This Front Row Rugby episode appeared originally on YouTube. If you enjoyed this content, please consider subscribing and sharing with your friends. See you next time.